Hello and welcome to the CBGS podcast brought to you by Aspen Waite. Here with Mr. Waite today and as usual this is a podcast <laughs> special. <laughs> On um, this one we're going to be talking about uh, Brexit, some Tory news and some Aspen Waite uh, news as well. Some Aspen Waite goings down. What's going to be happening? Hopefully a uh... A honest and left field discussion on tax collection and mm. the politics of envy. Ooh, yes, the politics of envy. Interesting getting into that. Um, so, if we talk about uh, Brexit first, Paul, um, what I mean, it's obviously in the news all the time at the moment, but what would a new no deal Brexit look like to you? Yeah, so, um, yeah, what I wanted to talk about the no deal Brexit wasn't, I didn't, I didn't particularly want to talk about Brexit in its fullness because I think uh, it's been done to death. Um, what, what, what I wanted to talk about today was the ignorant way in which the media portrays uh, the impact of a no-deal Brexit. Right. Um, as been evidenced on many uh, uh, shows recently, I can't remember the name of the lady, I think her name's Jenny something, uh, various political shows on Sky and the BBC, and... Um, some of them are actually quite embarrassing if you're educated, hopefully like I am. Mm-hmm. Um, BBC presenters are, you know, and I know that people, you know, probably people of a more left-wing persuasion than me may not accept what I'm saying, but I, I think it's there's no doubt that the BBC in particular demonstrate a clear bias um, mm-hmm. against leaving the EU. They are heavily influenced by the Ramonas... And on the whole, um, would be more left wing than right wing. Mm-hmm. Would be the, the impression that you get. I also think the BBC fails to keep a balance, as clearly evidenced by the panel on Question Time, for instance, which right. is always skewed in favour of Remainers against Leavers, mm-hmm. uh, and tends to have uh, uh, a, a preponderance of uh, liberal to social socialist presence. You know, in my opinion. So what I want to talk about is, is it's quite interesting that, um, in fact, there was a there's, a there's a lady newsreader on BBC. She tends to be on the the satellite BBC, you know, the 503, I think it is, mm-hmm. more than, you know, the mainstream BBC. And she um, she had a she had a, uh, a debate with uh, a new Brexit MEP, actually, who's a leading businessman. And of course, um, and, and I think what's quite what's quite interesting is not only are all the things that I said true about the BBC, that they tend to do it in such an obviously, mm-hmm. almost aggressive manner. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's not a How considered... can they get away with that, though? Like... Well, because well, well, they can, don't they? Mm. Well, they don't. You know, obviously, people like Farage complain about it all the time, don't they? Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's... I think, you know... Uh, for instance, I had a meeting with a gentleman I don't particularly like this week. Um, and, you know, when we started the meeting, I said, you know, let's, let's try to have a meeting where we can exchange views without either of us getting upset or mm-hmm. whatever. I think you can have a respectful and grown-up conversation with someone you don't agree with mm. without it becoming mm. aggressive, just a little combative. Yeah. And so, basically, this, this BBC presenter, is a blonde lady, you know, blonde lady on... Um, she's a BBC news presenter. So she's basically, you know, trotting the party line, that uh, leaving... leaving um, the EU without a deal is the most disastrous thing that could ever happen to Britain, right? Mm. So you get all of these Liberal MPs all saying the same, you know, like if we leave the, the EU without, without a deal, it's it's Armageddon, mm-hmm. you know, we're all going to go bankrupt, yeah. uh, there's going to be 70 million people unemployed, 
uh, no one's going to want to do business with us, you know. And then, of course, you get the reality. So what I wanted to talk about today was the reality, okay? So the trouble is, is that um, BBC news presenters are news presenters for a reason. You're a musician for a reason. You're very good at playing the guitar. It just so happens you have uh, a very agile brain, I would suggest, and you have adapted very well, say, into business life, you know? But nonetheless, you're not an expert in various things. So if you were having an economic debate with me, with the greatest respect, there's no difference between you and the blonde BBC lady. Mm. You know, mm. she, she is basically... And, and what was quite interesting is because, because the, the, uh, the Brexit guy, the Brexit, you know, Brexit Party representative was so learned and so wise and he didn't... He just talked calmly all the time. You could see her getting more and more and more agitated. flustered and yeah. agitated because she didn't, she didn't have that. So, what's that? If you turn around to me and you challenge my beliefs, I'll come back at you stronger yeah. because I truly believe in what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. So I can come back to you with conviction. Mm-hmm. You know, almost I'd, I'd say moral indignation. You know, mm-hmm. so it's very important to me that anything I do, even an R and D claim, if the revenue came back to me, I have to be able to turn around and say, "Hey, this is fair. Mm-hmm. This is more than fair." Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So what happened is, is because of the skill of his answers, she was falling apart hmm. because she's towing the party line. And when people, when people challenge that, so the fact is, you know, the, the fact is that nobody knows actually what's going to happen because it hasn't happened. It's all speculation. It, it's speculation. The fact is that Mark Carney, who uh, has a lot to answer for, in my opinion, the governor of the Bank of England, um, he, you know, and, and many others. They all said that we we should join the EU, uh, the, the the you know the EU currency, adopt the EU. And um, if we didn't do that, then there would be this devastating impact on our economy. Well, I think any any considered analysis would say that uh, a currency is better off not being in the EU currency. You know, beyond all doubt. And and I'd say certainly people like Greece. You know, as a good example, Greek and Greece and probably Italy, their economies would be massively better if they weren't in the, if they weren't tied to the EU. Mm. You know, beyond all doubt. So the fact is, you get this. It's another thing, as well as the politics of envy, you get the politics of fear. Mm. So what we see with the BBC is the politics of fear, basically, uneducated, ill-informed comments, <laughs> making sensational things as if they are accepted as true when they're not. Mm. So, for instance. Uh, 92% of SMEs do no trade with the EU. Hmm. 92%. <laughs> wow. 92%. I'll repeat that over. 92%. Yeah. What does that mean? Only 8% of SMEs trade with the EU. So that's only going to affect... So what happens, though? You turn on the news, even if it's Points West, and they do a feature on a business in Bristol whose whole livelihood is threatened by... A no deal Brexit. Mm. Now that is that is true, mm. but they've picked one out of twelve businesses. Yeah, eleven out of twelve don't give a monkey's poop. You know, do you see but what I mean? that one that's getting all of the headlines? And, you know, and I, still as, that fear as, in people. As you know, I attended a sort of a question time event at Bristol Golf Club early, um, at, the, at the end of last year, and um, I think there were ten chief executives in the room, of which I was one. And the fact is, you know, there was a there was an Irish lady in the room who, who was very opinionated uh, and was hugely anti-Brexit, for a good reason, to be fair to her. Her business, which was largely to do with learning, education, English language, 
has been very poorly served by this government. Right. I'm not trying to say it hasn't been. Mm-hmm. So it's suffered from government policy. It's, it is a loser of Brexit. Mm-hmm. But I'm not trying to... My point was, I was trying to play the wise man of the... Most other companies. <laughs> well, and, and my view was, yes, I feel sorry for you. Yes, you should be getting more. But it, equally, for instance, there was another chief executive in the room who was the head of an armaments company, uh, and their sales had increased by something like 100%. Mm. And they'd sold something like £50 million pounds of tanks to Germany, yeah. for instance, you know? So my point was... Uh, like anything, there are winners and there are losers. What happens in the media? The media just talk about the losers. Yeah, we don't get, and it makes all... everyone think that everyone's going to be like that in that situation. Exactly, it's, por- it's portrayed mm. that all businesses are like the business I talked about. They're going to suffer. They're not. Mm. Only eight percent. Sorry, only eight percent of businesses in SME businesses uh, are are, are doing now. Now, uh, I think uh, SME uh, SMEs employ something like sixty. Two percent of the UK workforce. Wow, something like that. Okay, now that isn't translated into share of revenue, so it's something like half. Mm-hmm. So SMEs are responsible for about half of GDP right. in uh, the UK. The other half comes from large companies who are already responsible, therefore, for thirty-eight percent or something of employment. But they have a more because they're larger. They have a disproportionate yeah. share of the income because they are bigger. Mm. And there's no doubt, you know, if you talk to some of our clients, particularly the larger ones, for instance, I was talking to my old bank manager at Barclays yesterday, mm-hmm. um, who was phoning me up to ask if I would help him try to get new clients, because I had some influence with his clients. Uh, and he was telling me, uh, so he only he only looks at businesses, I think, at the smallest that turn over about six million. Right. And it was funny, he said, oh, it's a bit, a bit of a hard old world out there, Paul. I went, is it? <laughs> really? <laughs> and he said, yeah, it's been really flat for about a year. I said, oh, okay. Uh, why, why is that? And he went, well, Brexit, you know, everyone soon said. And I said, well, that's not my experience. Mm. My world isn't like that at all. Mm. Yeah? So uh, it's funny, you know, for instance, whenever I, when, I remember when Gary White and I had a dinner together one night, this is just before the Brexit debate, um, and... Gary's views of what people thought and mine were almost completely reversed. Mm. And that was because of where he lived. Yeah. So where he lived, everyone was all about remain. Where we live, everyone wants to leave. Mm. You know? So, that, you know, it's just another example. We talked about this the other day about the shires against the cities. Mm. And that's why, you know, I had a very interesting debate with Darren Tolbert and Tony Morris the other day even about the fact that Welshness and Englishness were disappearing and that Anglo-Saxonness was growing. And what I mean by that is countries like America, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Britain, and they've split Britain down into England, Wales, whatever, possibly not Scotland to some extent, or half of Scotland anyway, um, what's actually happening is we're sort of morphing into one people Mm. because we're banged by, we've got a common language, we all watch the same TV programmes. Mm. Do you know what I mean? We listen to the same music. Uh, and I think that... And, and, and I said you know, I said to Darren and Tony that I think that... This came out of, of some statistical analysis I've been doing on rugby and football attendances in Wales. And I actually found that there was almost a perfect correlation now 
between the ratio of Welsh people that watch football against Welsh people that watch rugby as as uh, uh, it almost perfectly translated across the border. Mm-hmm. So my my point was actually it's not that Welsh rugby is in disarray. It's simply Wales is changing. Ten years ago, if you said what is the number one sport in Wales, you'd say it was rugby. It isn't anymore. The number one sport in in Wales is football. You see what I mean? So, so what's happening is you're, you're seeing the shift. And I think to some extent, the reason I I, I made that analogy is uh, I I think that views on economics and you know things like Brexit hugely depend and vary depending on where you live. Uh, how much money you earn, mm. what sector you're in, yeah, all those sort of things, you know. Now, the difference between me and uh, the fear mongers is I don't have fear. <laughs> in fact, as you know, one of my latest slogans is I want to banish fear from business. <laughs> okay? So one of the reasons why we founded this concept of happy <laughs> is is it, it might you know I actually I actually agree with this I, I when I when I when I formed the happy business people and happy IP I sat there and I thought I bet a, lo- a load of people think I'm even more insane than they think I am already <laughs> right now, this this is another weighty's barking man I mean, what the fuck is all about <laughs> sort of thing you know do you know what I mean because yeah. it's just so left field what's you know there's no place for this <laughs> but what's happening every day that goes by the the happy thing is looking at. A, more inspired in, yeah and you're seeing people, it in more places and other people are sending things to me about happy finance you know we, yeah. I showed you one the other day yeah. um, some of the responses we're getting from our network is amazing you know mm. isn't amazing you're talking about happy maybe think about it um, you think about the benefits of being happy yeah the difference between being happy and unhappy you know and all those sort of things so to me you know I don't. I don't think necessarily that having a No Deal Brexit doesn't have challenges, for instance. Mm-hmm. But there's no reason to fear. Mm-hmm. And the fact of it is, is, is rather than sit there and look at all the negatives. So let's look at the positives. Ninety-two percent of SMEs will be unaffected anyway. Yeah. Right. Which makes then up 50% let's look at other things that are true. Right. Britain, and then again, this is not reported in the media. Uh, and it makes me quite cross because you know people should know about this. The fact is, Britain is admired. I think it's a word, admired, respected, loved in some places. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and one of the things is, I think it's a place that people want to be. And I think it's only when you talk to people, like for instance, Tekla and Figaro, my new electro pop clients. Mm-hmm. You know, and they and they were telling me about how free society is in Britain compared to how it is in France, for instance. Mm. You know? And people just don't appreciate that, you know? Mm. This is a country people want to come to because everything is possible, isn't it? Mm. You know? Mm. Uh, And I think that the irony is, is that this is the land that spawned democracy. And then you get things like um, the Anne Widdicombe thing this week. Where you've got all these um, transgender activists, shall we call them, um, getting very upset about things she was alleged to have said on a TV show, you know, which were taken to be dreadful and satanic almost, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, rather than take the view, and what's interesting about this is, and this is, this is in no means um, uh, 
Islamophobic. <laughs> if a Muslim had said on a TV programme that uh, the Quran said that homosexuality was illegal or whatever the word was, uh, I would respectfully suggest that no one would dare say to that person that is an evil thing for you to say. Mm. Do you agree with that? Because it's their religion and it's... Well, yeah, people are, despite what people say, people are mm. f- afraid, I would suggest, of, mm. of offending uh you know, Islamists, ethnic minorities. Mm. Mm. Hence why we increasingly refer to living in a snowflake culture where free speech, despite, you know, I saw a guy the other day, yesterday, being interviewed, uh, he, he'd campaigned to have Anne Willicombe's tour closed down and yet he said he believed in free speech. Well, he obviously doesn't believe in free speech. And the irony is, is what he, what he really means is, and this is the true of of the Liberal Party when they talk about coming out. What they really mean is they're allowed to speak, but we're not. Mm. Jeremy Corbyn can stand up and say, you know, uh, that Donald Trump is a misogynistic, uh, fraudulent, whatever, right? And spill off all the things of hate he wants. He can sit there and have dinner with the president of China, the leader of Hamas, uh, proven terrorists, IRA leaders and whatever but he won't go and have a, a cup of tea with Donald Trump because he's a misogynist you know mm. you know what I mean and so it's, it's just this hugely convenient by, and, it, and it, it terrifies me the way the country is going mm. the fact is you know the thing is see one of the problems is is that uh, people like career politicians let's call them that career politicians and people in the media aren't what I call real world people mm-hmm. they haven't had to get up in the morning when you feel like shit mm. when you feel depressed or tired and have to go to work because if you don't go to work your children won't eat mm. you can't pay the mortgage do you know what I mean mm. those all those things so uh, real world people like me have to go to work regardless and the thing that really makes me cross is um, if Aspen Wake went bust which it's come close to several times uh, no one no one's going to bail me out mm. no one's going to turn around and say here's 50 grand Paul to pay, pay the bank Mm. Yeah, so Jeremy Corbyn is quite happy for me to fail. Mm. Do you see what? Do, yeah. If on the other hand I make fifty million pounds, I'm, I'm a bastard. Mm. Yeah. Do you see? I mean, and that, that is true. Yeah. You know. And the thing is, you know, what people should be doing is, and, and and this is this is something that I think people people who aren't used to making real world decisions like I have to every day, right? The point is. So if you take the EU, right? So you're Mr. Juncker now. When I'm negotiating with you, you need to you need to believe with every fibre of your heart that if you really piss me off, I'm going to tell you where to go. Mm. Right? If you don't believe that, you have no fear. Mm. I, I'm Theresa May now. Oh, I won't leave the EU without a deal, Mr. Juncker. Please don't be nasty to me. Mm. Right? He's now in. He's he's got nothing. He's he's in a no lose now. Yeah. Why should he bend? Yeah. Right. So the point is, what these people don't seem to understand is, it, it, the analogy. We I would do give, actually have power in the situation. You've got to create power, right? So the analogy is, as you know, I used to play cards, you know, for money, um, and uh, for instance, you know, uh, I I would be sat there opposite you, knowing full well I had a ten high. Mm-hmm. Terrible hand. Mm-hmm. I've got a ten high, but if I was to tell you I had a ten high, you're going to beat me, aren't you? Mm. 
That's what Theresa May did, effectively. Yeah, what I've got to do, I've got to make you believe, with every fibre of your body, that I'm only still in the game because I've got three aces. Yeah. yeah. Right? Now, the fact is, I don't want... But this is the point. I don't want, necessarily, not to have a deal. Mm. Right? What I want is to create an environment where you believe that I would leave if you don't accommodate me. Yeah. So I had a meeting, I say, I had a meeting this week, I say, with uh, a chap that, let's say, uh, one has a difficult relationship with. Mm. (laughs) And this would be a great example of that. I said to him, someone's got to put the gun down. That was my email, right? Which is me. I'm prepared to put the gun down. Are you prepared to put the gun down, right? Mm. Uh, So to some extent, I took a chance because I'm saying... You know, yeah. I'm going to say some things to you now, which you could exploit. Yeah, if you wanted to, you could use them against me, and I'm and I'm quite conscious of that. Um, so what happened? It took quite a lot. Uh, it took quite an effort. Is what happened is eventually over two hours, because uh, basically what I was saying to him is, look, I, I'm I'm prepared to compromise, mm-hmm. right? And then he'd say, something. I said, no, that's not compromising. Yeah. What you've just offered me is not a compromise. It's not a compromise at all. All you've basically said is, you'll stop doing this if I do what you want me to do. That's not compromising. Mm. So the analogy would be, uh, Juncker would say, uh, well, avoid a no-deal Brexit if you sign the deal we want you to sign. Mm. Well, that's that's not compromising. That's Mm. just... He said, well, that's kowtowing to them. Mm. So what happened is, eventually, uh, we managed to agree something that was in the middle and yesterday it was ratified mm. that, so that was because I said to him if you don't if you don't compromise with me I am going to walk out mm. Mm. don't want to walk out mm. I've come here today to compromise yeah. but if you push me too far I'm going to walk out mm. you see because a compromise is suited to both parties which is you know it's not going to be also, to some extent what you've got to do you've also got to now maybe he might have sat there and said, well, my position is so strong, I don't need to. Yeah. The likelihood is, if that was the case, he wouldn't have been there in the first place. Yes. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, in a no-deal Brexit, the fact is, uh, I, th- I get my facts right here, I think we have already signed deals, pre, pre-final deals with 12 countries. Did you know that? Wow. Uh, South Korea's latest. Of, like, trading agreements and... Yeah, yeah. so we've got 12 countries lined up that we... What did Donald Trump say two weeks ago? He said to us, he said that uh, he would make sure that whatever trade we lost with the EU, he, he would guarantee we'd make... That's it, we're in a strong position, so why people think we're not is, like... Well, because... What, what about the 39... Was it 39 billion divorce fee that we have to pay the EU if we're with a deal? But yeah, the fact like, is that, you know, and this is... Even the House of Lords has agreed with this. There is apparently no basis in law that says we have to pay that. Oh. Right? So, if, so actually... So, I know if it was a no-deal, that would get... We wouldn't have to pay that at all. No, I'm, I'm, so I, I, what, I want to do, what I want to do today is to confine myself to the facts mm. so that people can't turn around and say what Paul said was convenient rhetoric mm. or it was subjective. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So what I'm telling you is considered legal opinion is stated as we have no legal obligation to pay the EU £39 billion. We have nothing more than a moral obligation at best. Mm. Okay? Even if there is a deal? Well, if, yeah. no, if there was a deal, you'd have to pay it, wouldn't you? Because that's the price of the deal. Oh, all right, okay. 
we're talking about a no deal scenario, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. or or what the legal position is. So I'm mm. telling you, there is no legal yeah, obligation to pay no, yeah, thirty nine billion pounds, mm. right now. So let's ask ourselves what would happen if we didn't pay the thirty nine billion pounds. Well, actually, what we're talking about here is, uh, and President Macron would be the best. Uh, Example of uh, of, a, of a view on this because obviously he's a an incredibly pompous um, anti-British, I would suggest, p- very pro-European, pro-German um, politician. Let's say that, um, and uh, he he's basically said, "Oh, if you don't pay the thirty-nine billion, you're going to be in big trouble." Mm-hmm. And and but actually, what does he mean by that? So what he actually means is is basically everyone's going to go, eh, 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 these British people, they're terrible scumbags. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's just, this is the reality of it. Mm. So they've sort of defaulted on their moral obligation. So nobody will want to touch you anymore. No one's going to pick you in the football team in the backyard. Can you, you really give us all this money? <laughs> yeah. yeah, they think so. They think, for instance, our credit rating, mm. which is very good, it's triple A plus, whatever it is now. Uh, that the credit agencies, Standard & Poor, people like that, they're going to turn around and downgrade our credit rating. We're going to borrow money more expensively. Do you think Donald Trump is going to give them monkeys whatever about whether we pay the youth? He's told us not to pay them. In fact, he actually told Theresa May to sue them. Did you know that? He said twice. Don't, not only should you not pay them, you should sue them. Yeah. So the reality is... Anyway... Well, you know, so in a no-deal Brexit, the fact is is that the world is a huge place. We actually sell more to the EU than the EU, more to America than we do to the EU put together. Fact. Wow. Eight, as I repeat, only eight percent of small businesses export to the EU anyway. Okay, so the fact is, let's look at. So what I was saying earlier about how respected Britain was. Because we have a company in China, and, and my great chum Darren is in China as we speak, so having some great meetings at very high level in the Chinese government, uh, we I know uh, how the esteem in which Britain is held by China. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also know the Chinese are hugely anti-American at the moment because of Trump's views with them, and Britain is in pole position to cash in on that. Mm-hmm. Right? Again, never reported in the UK media. So the fact is, is that... Uh, I would suggest that probably Chinese the Chinese population is probably something like four times all of the EU put together, right? So if we were moderately successful in increasing our share of trade to and from China, I would suggest that that would more than make up for any damage in the EU. But the fact of it is, is the EU needs to sell to us far more than we need to sell to them. There's a huge imbalance between imports and exports to the EU from the UK. Mm. German car manufacturers would it, it would be you know it, it would be worse than Germany having a huge recession. The effects of a bad deal and us being disincentivized to buy cars from Germany for instance. Mm. So the fact is is that I think uh, there would be probably some short-term economic impact Mm -hmm. the worst thing that is true and I say this as an economist since I was 18 um, the thing that markets most dislike is uncertainty Mm -hmm. what we've had caused by Theresa May's vacillation and appeasement is three years of uncertainty no one knows what the hell is going to happen right what you will find when Boris Johnson becomes the Prime Minister 
is there will be a bounce. Whether I like him or not, because that's what will happen, uh, I think you'll find the pound... So these are predictions for you. <laughs> you'll see that uh, the pound will rise against the EU and the dollar upon his uh, upon him being formally made the Prime Minister. Uh, I would imagine the Tories' ratings will probably increase by about 5% overnight. The Brexit parties will come down. Um, why is that? Because whatever one thinks of Boris Johnson, he is decisive and he is firm. Mm. Boris Johnson would play the too high card, right? Yeah. So what is what is damaging to our economy is not necessarily whether we're going to have a no deal or a deal. It's actually people not knowing, mm. okay? So let's stop talking about fear. Let's get on and look at the positives, look at the rest of the world. Uh, and I think, and let's also be compassionate. So where we have, this is where, where I do have uh, some socialism in me, I do actually believe that uh, the strong should support the weak and that I do believe, for instance, that the lady that was on the question time debate with me, I do believe that the people that are benefiting from things should, for instance, help. That's why, for instance, we have uh, a foundation part of Aspen Weight. You know, I said to... um, I think the strong should help the weak if the weak are helping themselves. So if they are working hard, like that woman is, is like... Um, you know, you said she's got a business and she's she's really tried to build this up, but she's not getting the support from the UK government. No, she's, she, this over many years. So she had a business that's in decline uh, yeah. because of the lack of support. Yeah. So, you know, she's obviously working hard. So, yeah, I definitely she agree. She deserves support. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah I, I, I don't, there's any doubt that the government has failed her. Mm. You know, I wasn't trying to pretend it what hadn't. Yeah. You know, what, so what I, if I was Boris Johnson, I would be a more... So what I would be is I'd say I passionately believe in the free market. Mm. but the strong should also support the weak or the deserving weak as you put it I think that's a good way of putting it actually uh, okay so so with Boris Johnson um, then you, you, you think you think he's going to be next in line for sorry yeah, undoubtedly what was it 114 votes on the first poll um, he, he, he got um, the first first voting ballot within well the, I think uh, I, th- I'm not, I'm not, I don't know uh, uh, the Tory uh, voting system inside out but I believe that he has already done enough to make sure he's in the final two yeah uh, I would suggest if he's in the final two there is no way that the Tory um, the Tory members the non-MPs he's going to win that by a landslide mm. the only chance of him not becoming the Prime Minister was him failing to get to that point ah oh, ok wow. in my opinion mm, mm. as you know I've never been afraid to say I'm quite happy to sit here and say to the the listeners all sorts of things today and I'll be judged on my mm-hmm. record which I'm quite confident about yeah I think he was at 114 votes and Mr Hunt was uh, was, was 40 45 Three. or something 43 yeah so it's like a big big gap so we move on to the next point Mr Armstrong yeah should we, should we stay with um, should we stay with Mr uh, Mr Johnson and his um, <laughs> his his uh, view on raising income tax no, lowering uh, raising tax thresholds yes yeah raising tax <laughs> thresholds from um uh, 40% rate, yeah. Raising the threshold uh, where 40% from, gets paid yeah, to 80,000. 80, yeah. Where it's currently 50 mm. or whatever. So, um, I, so I think, you know, just to make this, uh, so I don't, because I obviously have already proved because I, 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 I'm on my home subject here. So yeah. I'm in danger of talking about economics for, and tax for about two hours. So uh, I'll try to um, a bit, be a bit more punchy. So 
I'll talk about optimum tax rates as well, which is one of the other things I put in the show today. Yeah. So, uh, do I support uh, the raising of the fresh air twenty thousand? Of course. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because. Uh, all right. Let me ask you a question. What do you believe is the objective of having a tax? What, what a tax is there for? Um, to to pay the government for the services that they provide to the UK people. Okay, so what sort of, so if you were the person deciding what the taxes should be and what rates they were, what would influence you as to whether the tax rate should be 0%, 10%, 20%, 50%, 80%, for instance? You know, how would you decide what the rate was? Um, affordability of people. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I disagree with that. So, okay. so in my opinion, uh, tax rates should, should be set um on the basis of uh, maximum revenue collection. Oh, okay. As long as that is fair to do so. Mm. Because obviously, if you took, if you, if I didn't qualify what I said, you could say, well, VAT therefore should be 30%. Mm. Right? So I think that you have to put the word fair. Mm. Into any tax system, the word fair has to also exist. Would you agree with that? Taxes should be fair. Mm-hmm. Proportionate? Yeah. I think it's another word I would use. Fair and proportionate, and they're there. Um, they're there to, um, well, essentially, uh, taxes are a means of collecting revenue so the government can pay for its services. Mm. So we can have an NHS, uh, so people can have free TV licenses, ho ho, throw a 75 or not. <laughs> um, so one of the things that uh, this is, this is something which uh, is, is quite extraordinary because the the truth is, and and I and I and I, I challenge anybody listening to this <laughs> to prove me wrong. There is no, I repeat, no instance of any socialist government in any country in the world successfully collecting more revenue by raising tax rates. Wow. No. Mm. Right, that means no. So, so th- thinking, if if people had more money to spend. Um, and that was going into the actual economy. This is, this is good thinking. Um, th- then they would collect more tax through that. Well, that's very interesting. You know, obviously, when I was younger, I, because 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 I was studying, I had to write some quite interesting essays about things like that. Um, let's just stick with the base point at the moment. So, I think I think this is right in saying that it's been calculated on a worldwide basis that the optimum rate of income tax the optimum rate that income tax should be set at is somewhere around 28% mm-hmm. okay so, so what does that mean what it means is is that there is a rate at which people right that, that we're talking now about the uh, top earners uh, are happy to pay tax mm-hmm. if that's a word I could use if if tax rates become disproportionate okay uh then there is no incentive or little incentive, declining incentive for people to want to earn more money. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think on, an early, on a previous show, we, we talked about the fact that in, I think it was about 30 years ago in the UK, it was possible to have a tax rate of 98%. Right. Do you remember that one? Yeah, well, it was anyway. We talked yeah. about that. Um, you mentioned Sweden, I believe. Mm-hmm. So the Swedish tax rate today is I think 60% it has been as high as 90 mm. Sweden has largely operated as sort of a 
snowflakey uh, sort of slightly wetty sort of socialisty uh, environment now for many years. Uh, and I think, you know, to be fair, on the whole, they seem to be very happy in their culture, which is very, very different to ours. I'd even go so far as to say, and I think I know you said this to me earlier, that on the whole, Swedes seem to be happy to pay 60% tax. I certainly wouldn't be. No. Okay? So the thing is, and this is where, you know, this is where uh, left-wing people in particular tend to get very upset, Okay. It's not so much that we're talking now... So, you know, let's make this clear, right? I have never, repeat, never, never sanctioned or been involved or even approved of any tax avoidance scheme, such as ones that have been uh, bandied around by the large firms investing in wine, gold bullion, all these sort of things. To me, uh, that isn't proper tax planning, Okay, I'm not interested in having a company in the Cayman Islands and trying not to pay my tax, yeah, right? Yeah, that isn't the point. It's quite clear for any of you that think that I have an agenda here. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm purely pursuing an intellectual point of view about what is the optimum rate of tax so I collect the most money I can for my country. Mm-hmm. Let's look at the reality. This January, the UK Exchequer collected the most tax in our history. Mm-hmm collected the most tax in our history. In the last quarter, the UK collected you're right, 30, 35.1 billion pounds of VAT. Wow. That was up 4.8% on the same quarter last year. Christ. Okay? Mm. Don't hear that in the people on the BBC, do you? <laughs> it's quite staggering, actually. Uh, last year... Uh, VAT receipts in the UK were £125 billion. Mm. So uh, £56 billion of corporation tax and £181 billion of income tax. So I do know what I'm talking about. Uh, So the fact is, you know, uh, what happens is, it's quite interesting. So what did um, John McDonnell's... Did you know what John McDonnell, who's the shadow chancellor... So when Boris said that he, he would he would um, he would raise the forty percent threshold to eighty thousand pounds, John McDonnell immediately said, uh, "This just goes to show how out of touch the Tories are." Mm. Well, that's, that's actually what does he mean by that, Drew? Mm. Out of touch with what? Because mm. yeah, they're huge failures because we've just collected no money. Actually, sorry, Mister McDonnell. I thought do not understand. <laughs> we've just had record tax receipts, yeah. right? Record tax receipts means record tax receipts. Now, if he was to say, in my considered economic analysis, if the 40% threshold was raised to £80,000, I estimate there would be a redu- reduction in the collection of the exchequer receipts of something approaching £26 billion. That £26 billion could be spent on the NHS, for instance. Mm-hmm. Right? Then I would, I would say that you, you have a fair point. Yeah. Fact is, he doesn't even, it's not, it's not even on his mind. Mm. When he says they're out of touch, what does he mean by that? What he means is, is, is the Tories are out of touch with political envy. Yes. Right? Yes. We, 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 we high earners don't understand how distasteful it is to the poor people who earn £22,000 that someone should dare to, to, to aspire to be wealthy. Mm. That's what he means. Mm. How dare you try to be wealthy, you know? Now, the fact is, uh, I was actually quite staggered yesterday. Do you know how many employees we have now? What would you think? 
So, no, generally, I mean, I always get a bit defensive when people ask me how many employees I have because, and the reason is not not because I'm not proud of my employment record or anything. It's it's to do with the fact that I don't feel that the answer properly properly um, shows illustrates um, the true size of Aspen Weight. Mm-hmm. Aspen Weight success is built on uh, its network. Mm-hmm. If you look at my weekly wrap up that I sent out this morning. Uh, and I think very carefully about who I send that to. So I've now decided, for instance, from now on, I'm always going to copy in people like Joe Derbyshire, Harry, Darren, uh, Mark and Neil at Seven Fresh, Gareth at Discovery Glass, Ron at Helios, for instance, because they they are my friends. These are my colleagues, mm. you know. Uh, people like Chris Davis would be a Even good example. Chris Davis is not technically of an employee of Aspen Way, yeah. but in my heart, he is. Yeah, no, he is. He's 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 as he's as important to me as 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 Jono is. You know, proportionate, for instance. You know, so. Um, but the, the, the fact is, we have sixty apparently six O employees, which is more than I was expecting. Okay. Anyway, my point is, uh, Aspen Weight would pay. I don't know. I hadn't worked it out, but I would think we might even pay something approaching half a million pounds a year, easily. Actually, mm. um, I mean, we've had VAT bills way into the hundred thousands. Mm. Do you know that? Hundred and forty three thousand, I think, in one quarter. Yeah. So, so yes, yeah, so it might even be a million pounds. Mm. So, Aspen Way is probably making a contribution to the British economy of over a million pounds. Mm. Okay. Well, so do you not think that Jeremy Corbyn should think I'm a jolly fine fellow? Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. Mm. So, as you know, my aim is to um, broadly. Increase Aspen weight probably by about four times the size of our last group turnover in the last financial year. So, on any reasonable extrapolation, one million pounds is going to become four million pounds. I would suggest that people like me deserve to be cherished and nurtured and watered, mm. not uh, as I am now, full of fear. Yeah. If Corbyn became the Prime Minister, I would be terrified. Mm. Everything I have worked for would be under threat. Mm. Okay? Uh, I would give serious thought to living in the Isle of Man, seriously, mm. um, and leaving the country that I love. Um, f- for what reason? Not because tax receipts are actually going to go up. So the fact is, is that Boris Johnson's point on any reasonable economic analysis is probably sound. Okay. Whether it's politically expedient, and I would put that in, I mean, obviously... One of the things I think you have to do as a leader, you have to look at all the facts. And so, for instance, you know, I don't think it's very clever. Let's say it was Aspen Wake, right? Let's just say now there's 100 people involved in our community at a close level, people, a band of brothers, let's call it that. Do you think, knowing me, that even if I truly believed in something, that I would do something that I knew 30 of those 100 people would passionately not like? No. So what would I do? I'd come to a, something that I thought everyone liked, yeah. wouldn't I? Mm-hmm. So the fact is, I think possibly, probably, um, what I would do is is it. So what happens to politicians is they're out of touch, 
right? If you listen to any politician talking about a budget, what they show is they don't understand small business. All they understand is the rules that apply to large business, okay? So what I would do is, for instance, people earning over £100,000 enter a negative rate of tax, right? You end up having less money if you earn £104,000 than you do if you earn £99,999. Why is that? Because you start losing your personal allowance, okay? Mm. So not only are you now at 45%, you're now losing your personal allowance, okay? This creates a sort of a poverty trap effect. So if you look at any tax advice I give my clients, don't earn more than £100,000, I say, right? Right? Because 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 you'd be mad to earn more than that, okay? So so what I would be doing is to say, well, that's madness. That is that is unfair. Yeah. Compared to fairness, mm-hmm. right? It's unfair. So I have that trap because because I I practice what is called business socialism. And I generally do. So I am uh, I'd like to think an empathic, sensitive person who does passionately believe in the market economy. But I've already said many times the rich and the strong should help the weak, the deserving weak, as you put it. So um, things that I would be doing is I would be um, increasing the personal rate, possibly allow people to earn 15, even 20,000 pounds before they pay tax at all, mm. you know? That would be much more sensible than raising the minimum wage. What people don't understand, you see, it's all very well. This is, this is, again, in the same way that people like me, free market economists, have to consider the views of socialists, for instance, mm. right? They should also do the same. Now, when you sit there and say, if you said to me, uh, do I think it's good that people have no money, that people live in fear, they can't afford to have heating, they can't afford to eat properly? Of course I don't, mm. right? I believe in social housing. Mm. I don't, I believe in, I don't think, I think it's a disgrace that people sleep on the streets, mm. okay? That's a different thing altogether. Mm. You can accommodate, you can have good social policies and still believe in the free market economy yeah that's 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 my point it comes it comes to me about that they're happy as well like if, if people ha- have more freedom with their money and um you know that they're gonna they're gonna be happier which is it's better to be happy than in a state of fear and this the, the whole way that tax is set up now and the, and the fact that people don't have enough because of that puts them in this state of fear and you know that's not good as a as a whole nation, you know. No, absolutely. But there's an important point here. So I can't remember who I was talking to earlier in the week, but I had a meeting with one of my clients, and I say I can't think who it is at the moment. And um, <coughs> oh, I know it was. It was um, it was actually Gwen and Adrian, you know, my best chums at MTech. And they were talking about um, the fact that uh, the rates they're offered by their customer for certain works are as low as eleven pounds an hour. Eleven pounds an hour. They've got to employ someone to do that work. Now, uh, Labour are talking about increasing the minimum wage, I think, to £10, £10 an hour. Now, if one looks at this on a certain level, uh, I, I, can, I have every sympathy with the point of view that uh, £10, for instance, equates to something like £20,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Okay? And probably if you were living in London, yeah, and I do make that point, because there's a big difference between that. Yeah, well, yeah. 20 grand in London is probably the same as 16 grand in Bridgewater, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. You know, or whatever it is, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, I think the point is, is that uh, on the face of it, from any caring social point of view, uh, wanting people to earn at least 20 grand is laudable. I, I, I would say that. Would you agree with that? Mm-hmm. 
let's look about look at what that means in practice. That now means that Gwen and Adrian have to pay ten pounds plus national insurance, right? So they're probably you're probably looking at at least eleven pounds. Okay, that they're now losing money on on that contract, aren't they? Mm. All the restaurants that I, I operate, I act for any number of businesses that work on very low margins. The construction industry operates on something like a two and a half percent net profit return. Do you know that? Wow! So on average, a company turning over hundred million is lucky to make two and a half million pound profit, right? Two and a half percent. When when you start messing around with things like this. You're talking now. What? So I'll tell you something now. This is not. This is not speculation. This is a promise. If the rate was put up to ten pounds, there will be a loss of probably half a million jobs at least. Mm. Immediately. Wow. Probably more than a hundred thousand businesses will go out of business. Okay. Why? For the politics of envy. There's actually more than the politics of envy. It's the it's the politics of lack of understanding, right? Because any coherent policy has to take into account all the factors. What you can do. So what I would do is I would sit there and I'd say, right, okay. So actually, what we want is we want everyone to be all right, mm. right? You, you agree with that? Mm-hmm. How how can we best do that? We don't do that by making half a million businesses fail, <laughs> right? There's a smarter way of doing By it. By empowering people so they have more money well, for in a start, way so they can so spend it. <laughs> well, that's, that's, actually, that's a very, uh, a very good point. So one of the things that most people suffer from, which I don't, is people take a short-term view. Politicians do in particular because they make decisions to win the next election, mm. right? So uh, spending a pile of money to make the economy better in 10 years' time isn't on their agenda. Mm. So... But, you know, if you actually look at a raft of things you do, so raising the uh, threshold, for instance, to £15,000, £20,000 would be a brilliant way of giving people more money, wouldn't it? Mm. Um, if you then turn around, for instance, and you said... And that, see, one of the problems we have now as well, let's take university, OK? When I went to university, I had a grant of £3,850 a year. So I was paid to go to university. I then worked every single day of my holidays to make sure I had money. Facts, okay. So, what happened when I went to university is, on the whole, people only went to university if they were clever, you know, and there was some reason to go, right? Now, you know, be very careful how I put this so that people aren't offended by what I say because everyone seems to be offended by everything these days. Um, there is a culture now that's pretty much everyone should go to university. Mm-hmm. Really go to university? Hell, you should go, right? Now, to me, that's just madness, mm-hmm. you know. Because um, what that means is, is you're encouraging um, probably 20%, say, there's probably probably at least 20% of people at university shouldn't be there, mm. right? They're not good enough to be there. They're probably mollycoddled. Um, of course, we live in a society where you're not allowed to win. Mm. You know, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to set, to say, tell the truth because everyone's offended by it. It just shows you with degrees as well. They haven't, they don't hold as much value now. Well, don't no, they don't. But then, see, the thing is, you because know, of that, I think. I think you know what the reality is. You know, I don't know anybody of my sort of age who doesn't agree with this. The current generation fills me with dread because they have, you know, I'm talking about people below the age of 25 now. You know, they've been brought up uh, in a manner which is completely different to anybody older than that. Mm-hmm. So that you know, their attitudes uh, are, are are very different. You know, they 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 are overly privileged. You know, they don't. 
maybe overly protected, perhaps. Do, do, do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you then get the reality of having to work and the reality of what it's like in the real world. So, for instance, you know, Aspen weight is a true meritocracy. Mm-hmm. It's a very enlightened meritocracy, but anyone who doesn't think there's competition going on in Aspen weight is a fool, mm-hmm. you know? In, in reality, in commercial reality, um, you do have to compete. You do have to, though. So, you know... Anyway, we've, we've it's almost like the real world has changed because of uh, that, though. So, like, it, uh, you don't need to. Unfortunately, you don't need to um, have that drive to win, almost to get um, to be looked after. To you, you know, no, no, that's, that's exactly right. So, I think um, moving on to um, the sales tax thing, you know, Michael Gove's VAT thing. Yeah. Um, so, um, I have to say, it's very enjoyable doing today because uh, you know, um, I'm fire, Paul. I'm. Uh, <laughs> Well, no, it's, 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 it's obviously talking about something I feel very comfortable with. So, yeah. um, so, so this Michael Gove thing is he's talking about scrapping VAT and replacing it with um, a lower a, a sales, sales tax. tax. I, I've, I've, I've actually, despite um, surfing the net, ooh, surfing USA, um, I've actually failed to find anything concrete about what he really means by that. So, mm. which is difficult. But um, so one of the reasons why you know I made to, made sure today that um, there was no holes in my armoury, so to speak, which is why I know what the receipts are for each of the taxes and the collections of the last quarters and all that, is um, I was actually quite shocked. Uh, so VAT, so to repeat what I said earlier, VAT receipts last year were £125 billion, pounds, mm-hmm. which compares with something only about £90 billion pounds about 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, just mm-hmm. to show um, interestingly, you know, if we wanted to have a party, a party uh, political agenda here, uh, for the only time in history, uh, there was a dip in um, VAT receipts during uh, during the reign of. Uh, in fact, it was the uh, might have been the major government actually. To be fair, I'm not sure if it was the Blair government or the major government. I think it might have been Blair. Anyway, uh, there was a there was a fall in VAT receipts between about 1997 and 1999, which which was recovered by in the mid 2000s. Um, and as I said earlier, uh, 125 billion pounds last year, 35 billion in the last quarter, which would suggest if that continued, that the next year's receipts would be 140 yeah. billion. So uh, that compares with 181 billion pounds of income tax receipts. Which is quite interesting. So, so actually, uh, my first reaction is crikey. Now, I'm not quite sure whether the 125 billion pound figure that is gross VAT receipts. So, I'm not sure if that is net VAT receipts. If you see what I mean. Okay. Um, let's, let's just assume that it is for the purposes of today's show. Um, so, my first reaction is crikey. Uh, getting rid of VAT is really going to hit our economy big time, you know? Mm. Now, you made a, you made uh, an incredibly... Uh, in fact, you said several very wise things today. Um, one of the things, certainly when I was younger, uh, when I was a true liberal, I would say, I don't mean someone who voted Liberal Democrat because they're not liberals as far as I'm concerned. I mean, to me, a liberal is someone... You know, liberal... If you actually look at what liberal means in the dictionary, the current Liberal Party isn't liberal. <laughs> If that makes uh, sense, okay. yeah. You know, to me, like liberal is, um, I'd call it laissez-faire. Um, so you know, if you want to smoke a spliff, I'm liberal. Yeah, go and do it. If you believe in uh, North American Red Indian tribe god the gods or something? Yeah, go and do it. I'm liberal. What do you know? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 
That's what a liberal is. Yeah. Liberal, I think liberal is is things like um, a liberal is um, respecting other people, yeah. letting things be, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, a degree of compassion for one's fellows, those sort of things, mm-hmm. you know. So um, I think uh, creating a tax regime or, a, or a, an environment where people... Uh, see, what's very interesting is, you know, what your point is. So if people had more money, would they actually spend it? Would you? Yes. What would you spend it on? Things I like. Like? That make me happy. <laughs> oh. Uh, oh, well, so all you ladies out there. Hey. Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, gifts for the ladies. So whiskey manufacturers are going to want to go do well. Yeah. Um, think, things that you're interested in. Like pe- people, are, your, your passion, your joys, you know, that, the, the UK economy. <laughs> See, it's interesting. If you ask me the same question, you see, if I had more money, I would spend even more money on stimulating the economy. Yeah. That's so what I, I mean. would I would give more money to Discovery Glass. Mm-hmm. Or there'd be another Discovery Glass. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? But it's in your position, yeah, of course. Like helping yeah, so we're, we're just companies. Talking. So what what we what we, we, we could agree, right? We could definitely agree that if people had more money, someone like me as a uh, CEO CEO of our of a, an expanding um group with uh, a foundation policy for instance you as a uh, man who enjoys life let's call that <laughs> if we both had more money we wouldn't retain the money we would spend it on things yes. right what we don't know right for today because we haven't got here our calculators out we're not quite sure how that translates into reality of tax for instance do we mm-hmm. do you agree with that yeah so uh what we can say is beyond all doubt that any damage that was caused by reducing something would be partly made up by what we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know, and, and and this is the thing again. This comes back to the politics of envy because um, there isn't enough considered analysis of actually what that would mean. Mm-hmm. I'm probably clever enough if I wanted to to sit down on my sunbed next week and actually work out. That if I had say a hundred thousand pounds more to spend, what how would that would translate into tax yields, mm. for instance? You know, uh, and I, I I would imagine that it would be more than ten thousand pounds mm. would be the increase in tax, for instance. You know, so um, I think it's like a, you know, like we talked about today. I, I would have said that um, I, what how I would take what he is saying. Is that we're going? He's got, he wants to abolish the twenty percent VAT, probably have something like a ten percent sales tax or something, mm-hmm. you know that sort of thing. Which would be on kind of everything. Rather well, no, than I don't think it would. Things. I mean, I guess, you know, I mean today, obviously, we I mean, Michael Gove's not going to be anyway, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> so, uh, so to some extent, you know, what I wanted to do today was um, to talk about what I would do in an enlightened. As, mm. as an enlightened chancellor who did understand real business, mm. who did have a degree of um, more than a degree of community spirit, shall we say? Mm-hmm. So, what again? It comes back to fair and proportionate, doesn't it? So, at the moment, people pay VAT on goods that they shouldn't be paying VAT on. In my opinion, okay. why is that? Because the EU says we have to. Mm. Facts. Mm. Okay. So, um, you have certain items which are still exempt. So you have exempt and standard and 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 and, and uh, uh, excluded. Um, I've had a brain freeze for a minute. <laughs> so you've got effectively two types of uh, activity where there is no VAT. Um, so things like new builds, right. you know, uh, someone building a new road, you know, that's that's exempt from from VAT. 
um, certain things like children's clothes, I think, you know, and, and that sort of thing. But you've, you've still got a number of items that traditionally had no VAT on them that now have VAT on them. And I think the first thing I would do is reverse all of that. Mm. So, you know, what, again, what, what it should be is, is, so again, going back to looking after the week, for instance. Mm. See, what's quite interesting is, this is true, if you actually do uh, an analysis of demographic, a demographic profile of people, you know, what, you know, people on 20 grand, what do they spend the money on? People on 40 grand, what do they spend the money on? People on 60 grand, blah, blah, blah. What you find is obviously um, people on lower incomes spend a much higher proportion of their income on basics. Mm-hmm. Inevitably, don't they? Mm-hmm. So everyone's got to eat. Mm-hmm. So clearly, you know, probably someone on 20 grand might be spending one third of all their money on food and drink. Mm-hmm. I might only be spending 10% of everything I earn on food and drink. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think, um, you know, what. And then also you've got to look at things like cigarettes. Mm. You know, uh, it seems to me, you know, there's, 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 there's massive uh, inconsistency and hypocrisy about the way certain things are taxed. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, I, 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 I don't have a problem, you know, as someone that has smoked myself. But, you know, the fact is that uh, putting a cigarette in your mouth, uh, there's only one thing that's going to happen. You will get, your health will be, will yeah. be impaired. <laughs> So, you know, it seems to me some sort of argument for saying that if you knowingly destroy your body, why should everyone else have to pay for you to fix it? Mm. You know, I mean, it might sound a bit brutal put like that, but... Yeah, it's true, yeah. But, you know, in simplicity, it's true, isn't it? So, um, I'm not sure about it. I think think that um, the VAT system needs to be simplified and made fairer. Uh, I would undertake a complete review of all goods and see whether or not, uh, for instance, the lower paid pe- people on the whole would be... Uh, so, for instance, if, if, I could take, if I could take certain things out of the VAT threshold that would improve the quality of life for, you know, a, a lot of people, that would be something that one would want to do, I think. Mm. Um, and as we discussed, you know, probably that would mean anyway that, um, you know, those people hopefully would then spend it... Um, you know, on, on, on things that would stimulate the economy. Of course, the worry is, you know, this is why, for instance, I tend not to give money to people begging, um, because my worry is is that they just go and buy themselves a cider. <laughs> Do you not yes. think so? Yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, the trouble is, you know, with a certain... This is why I think you were right to, sit, to put the word deserving in front. We live in a society where a significant minority of people simply look upon things like illness... Uh, like an opportunity. Oh, I can get more. I can get more benefits. Yeah. You know, you've got whole generations of families now. Apparently, where you've got two or three generations, none of them have ever worked. Mm. That's a reality. You know. So, you know, one of the things one has to consider is is scrapping VAT on whatever it was. Does that mean now that Dan just simply goes to William Hills and spends even more money on losing losing on the horses? Mm. You know. Uh, does does betting with Paddy Power actually mean that Paddy Power are now going to? I'm not sure they would. I'm not sure that spending money at Paddy Power actually benefits the UK economy. It might do if Paddy Power employed another fifty people. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I don't think it probably. I don't think that probably happens. It just means that the shareholders of Paddy Power make more profit. I would imagine. Mm-hmm. So I think um, that's probably enough on taxes. I think have we covered all the things I put down? 
Uh, I think so. The only thing we, we've kind of we've covered China a little bit, and we've covered um, happy business a little bit throughout the podcast with examples. Um, you want you, you wanted to discuss those as well. This has been a long one, though, Paul. We've 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 covered a lot in this episode. We're on one minute four already. But uh, one hour, one hour four minutes. <laughs> Well, I think, you know, I think, you know, personally, I think um, I'd, I'd be surprised. You know, it's, 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 people don't say this normally on the show, do they? But, um, you know, it's, 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 um, it's certainly been the most relaxed debate I think we've taken part in because, um, you know, it's something I, it's something I've, I, what's going on in your thing there? Sorry, yeah. Um, you know, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a subject that I know inside out. I've given a lot of thought to over many years. Um, I know, I know my facts and, um, and obviously, I'm operating at the coalface. If you, you know what I mean, I know, I'm at the reality sharp end of business. So, um, and also, I think my views are fairly unusual for. Um, I suppose you know, I probably would be regarded as on what the people right. are hearing on the TV. It's a bit different from from some of that yeah, but, stuff. You know, which I, is very I, I would be considered in. to be probably someone who's on the right rather than the left. But mm-hmm. the fact is, is that my my that doesn't mean that. I don't have a social conscience. I, I probably have a greater social con- yes. conscience than anybody I've ever met. Mm. So I think, you know, what I hopefully have demonstrated today is that you you can passionately believe in uh, growth, uh, wealth, and the market economy, and it doesn't have to be at the detriment of any loss of humanity or lack of caring for other people. Very well That's, put, that's my message. Yes. Anyway, moving on, a um, couple of things, a few things I wanted to say today. So... Um, Tried to wrap up quickly. Firstly, uh, firstly, I wanted to say uh, how proud I am that my son Samuel uh, became officially um, a fully fledged Jew yesterday. Uh, he attended the uh, Liberal Council of Judaism in uh, London. Uh, it was called the Bet the Bet Din. Uh, he had to write two essays um, as part of the process, and then is interviewed by the council as to why he wanted to become uh, a fully-fledged member of the community. Uh, and um, I think they were so impressed with him, uh, I think that um, Samuel was a potential rabbi of the future, actually. I know it's something oh, wow. that you would identify very much with, given your mm-hmm. beliefs, you know. Uh, from my point of view, as a Gentile, um, it's interesting, I think Sam himself um, is sort of quite curious about my view about this. The way, the way I tend to look at it is I think that people that have belief and faith are in a stronger position than people that don't. Mm. Uh, I'm very... Your son, actually, uh, Callum, told me something about this yesterday, about... Um, uh, Other son? Uh, yes, uh, sports and people that have belief and have faith uh, have more chance of winning, basically, on the statistics that he saw of that, which I thought was very interesting. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it goes to the reason. I think, you know, the thing is with Sam, he's... Um, He's found something in in Judaism. He didn't go into Judaism meaning to become a Jew. Mm. You know, he actually did it to support his mother, mm. probably to start with. And uh, you know, for, for whatever reason, he has gone down fantastically in the community. Mm. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to say that Sam. So fair play well done, to Sam. you. Well done, Sam. <laughs> uh, secondly, I wanted to say a very happy birthday to Joe Derbyshire. I won't tell everyone how old she is, but it is a landmark birthday, i.e. there's a naught after the end. Uh, and she isn't 60, so you might work out what, how old she might be. Sorry about that, Joe. Uh, I'd just like to apologise to you for um, being unnecessarily uh, confrontational with you yesterday, Joe, as well. 
So as I put my weekly wrap-up this morning, uh, I have managed to prove to myself yesterday that I'm still at the age of 59, I still haven't grown up. Mm-hmm. So uh, I have suitably chastised myself, walked around in an ash cloth and uh, drunk a bit of red wine to, to, uh, to get over my to get over my bad behaviour. And I drew like that. Um, so I'm very proud to say, because we haven't really made a lot of this, so um, this is the second week now that Aspen Waits had an office in Wantage, um, following our merger with Smith's Chartered Accountants um, in Boston Science Park in Wantage. Um, uh, for me, it's a bit of a thrill, because um, Wantage was the birthplace of my hero, Alfred the Great. Um so it's a, an area that um, I sort of love. It's also a beautiful area. Um, it's very much in the epicentre of Aspen Wake World, actually. Um, I'm very pleased for some of uh, uh, of my colleagues, notably John O'Harris, who uh, probably has one of the greatest loves of humanity. Not unlike yourself, actually, I would suggest, as a character. Um, you know, huge heart, um, very liberal, let's say fair sort of chap. Uh, so laid back, he's horizontal, um, but you know a joy, a joy to know. And um, I've been very happy to uh, reward and back him by making him the chief executive of the Wantage office. And in running, uh, um, it's been very rewarding to see how well that seems to be going and how oh, nice. lauded he's been by mm-hmm. some of our colleagues, such as Alex Tame, this week, uh, my great friend at Collar IP. Um, the Wantage people themselves uh, show an immense amount of promise. I liked very much their where they were coming from, the sort of you know their hearts, etc. As a first observation, and I'm very pleased that um, on a major assignment that we're working on in the Slough area next week, that I've managed to get Trevor onto the team. So Trevor at Wantage is joining Monica and Tim Champion. Oh, nice! Um, which is which is which is a thrill. So it's you know a nice way to be able to. To say to Trevor, um, join our family and yeah. be part of something really, really good, you know. So, um, got huge plans for Wantage. Um, so, you know, we're really going to try and change. We've also Alex from Coda is hopefully going to be resident in the, the Wantage office. So it's it's um, it's also going to be the first office where we're going to take the concept of happy business mm. uh, really out to the community. And and really, you know, it might it might sound a bit daft, but actually, if you think about, you know, being happy is 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 a really powerful thing. One of the things that's interesting this week is um, there was a big article in Accountancy Age about uh, the general dissatisfaction that business owners had with their accountants, uh, okay. and in fact, something like thirty percent of all business owners actually said they would go out of their way to stop other people talking to their accountant because they actually mm-hmm. held them in contempt, sort of thing, you know. And very, very few were prepared to um, to recommend their accountants to somebody else. Uh, and you know, the general the general views as to why that was was um, lack of communication, lack of caring, lack of advice, uh, reactive culture, all those sort of things. You know, one of the other things that was quite interesting was also um, dinosaur type culture. Um, so not being techy enough. You know, so. On the whole, people who were more cloud-based, for instance, uh, were going down well better than perhaps the more traditional mm-hmm. accountants. So, uh, Jono and I are going to be really brave, and we're going to really push happy business. Um, and I think that if we, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, 
And to some extent, as a, you know, as you know, sometimes with me, I have these ideas and I don't really know what they mean, mean myself. You know, uh, I can sit here and say, well, clearly, being happy is better than being unhappy. Um, but we're really going to go for it. You know, we're going to. I think to some extent, it's a bit like the journey we started with R and D. You know, I didn't know how I was going to get to Z, but I knew damn well I was going to get there. And to some extent. Uh, what's happened is I've made it up as I've gone along, mm-hmm. you know, and I see that happening with happy, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, things will become more and more obvious to us as to what we do yeah. uh, as, as we go along. It seems, it seems like the principles and belief, like say like happy and having belief gives you a, a stronger foundation to succeed or like to, to be better. Like, yeah, that's what I really see with it. It's more like yeah, a exactly. foundation. So the only, any yeah. other thing uh, I want to talk about this week is, um, um, about two weeks ago, I think officially, uh, China UK actually became officially part of Aspen Weight, which is a thrill for me. Um, China UK has a magnificent team led by uh, Dieren. Mm. Uh, Dieren? Mm. No, Dieren Horn. Oh, uh, no, yeah. That's the whole point. That's why he isn't Dieren, Darren. So we've got Dieren and Darren. Oh, so yeah, Darren is the man of steel. Yes. And then, of course, we've got Darren Horn, mm-hmm. uh, who, who's a Kiwi Lithopudlian. Uh, mm-hmm. And because of his New Zealanders, I always call him Dieren. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, and then we've got um, yeah, one of the great educational uh, greats. Uh, we're privileged to work with Professor Harry Thomason on our team. And uh, head of affairs actually working in China, Ailey Zhu. Um, so, uh, who has a triple? I think she has a BSc, MSc, and PhD in Chinese medicine. Um, again, a bit of a force of nature. So, we've got this amazing team. Um, genuinely, there is a massive opportunity in China at the moment. Darren is actually uh, on his uh, second day of high level, third day, I think, uh, of high level talks with various members of the Chinese government and provincial uh, government. Uh, so we've already reached a level of uh, preeminence, I think, in certain sectors, notably education, um, UK, China. Uh, but what I really want is uh, to build a massive presence in trade. So, so this is the thing, again, you know, going back to the politics of envy, uh, and I know that Harry in particular shares my passion for this. I genuinely have this um, desire, would be a word, and passion uh, to contribute to my country, which has nothing to do with my own wealth, mm. you know, mm. I, I I want to be so rather than sit there like all these negative people do and say, "Oh, isn't life going to be terrible?" I'm actually going to prove it isn't going to be terrible. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to be one of those people that says, "Ah, see, mm-hmm. see what happens when you actually think you can score a goal." Mm-hmm. So yeah, very very excited about our work in China. Uh, very early days, but great team and. Um, it's, it's something that I'm really looking to develop. So, I think um, I'm now off to a holiday for a week, which I'm oh, very pleased to yes. see. Where it's are you off to? Kefalonia for the eleventh time or something. Wow. Um, so yes, it means I probably like it quite a lot. So um, you'll be um, you'll be saved from my verbal diarrhea next week. <laughs> so Drew will be able to talk about something interesting, <laughs> like um, shamanistic rituals of the. Uh, well, one thing I did want is leave uh, about happy. Um, so um, I've got a book now um, written by uh, Billy Mills, the uh, mm-hmm. the great uh, Lakota Sioux Olympic gold medal winner of 1964, which um, uh, is very inspiring. And I've been already 
quoting from it in various inspirational memos to my happy colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, uh, you know, check it out uh, and, and, and just see yourself, you know, f- see how good your day might be if you're just a little bit happier. Mm-hmm. So on that note, um, it's a bit of a, I, 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 sit there, I was playing a bit of music yesterday because it's quite rare. I was actually sat in the office for once. Uh, although it was quite a grueling day, to be honest with you. Um, so, uh, this carried you through. I, uh, I, I, the music I play tends to reflect my mood to some extent, and um, and I sat there and I thought oh, I don't I, I don't really want to be bothered to play something sort of significant. Um, probably um, the artist of the week for me would be Kate Bush, um, and I've been listening a lot to great songs um, like Snow uh, and Snowflake. So um, people people tend to think about um, Kate Bush more. In the early stuff, you know, Wuthering Heights and Man with a Child and all that sort of stuff. And wow, um, her, her, her later stuff is is I think much more interesting. So if you listen to um, 50, 50 Words of Snow, I think it's called. Um, and of course, the title track is actually uh, has Stephen Fry oh, talking yeah. about it. So he says Avalanche, <laughs> drifting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, wow. Listen to it. It's called mm. Snowflake. Sorry, 50 Words of Snow, and then there's a, a beautiful song sung by Kate Bush's son called um, Snowflake. Mm. It says, Sky, oh, <laughs> Sky, but in a very high voice, beautiful. Um, so, anyway, listening to a lot of Kate Bush this week, who, because um, uh, I've started my third book, uh, everyone will be pleased to know, I'm sure. So, the second book is now published, so if you want to copy, uh, ask me, we've got, we've got them in the office. Um, so, anyway. So, despite um, listening to Kate Bush this week, I thought I wanted to have something cheery. I thought about something that was happy. We did that the other day. So, um, we're going to play a record uh, which reminds me of my O-Levels. Um, I find it a very inspiring, cheery song. It's almost impossible not to be happy uh, when you listen to it. It's called Rock the Boat by the Hughes Corporation. So, I'll pass you over to my great friend, the monkey. <laughs> and uh, I will talk to you in two weeks' time. Nah. Thank you very much, guys. Hope you enjoyed this podcast episode and enjoy Rock the Boat. Your touch has thrilled me like the rush of the wind And your heart have held me safe from a rolling sea There's always been a quiet place to harbor you and me Our love is like a ship on the ocean Oh, I need 
of the strip that flows from you Don't let me drift away, my dear When love can see me through Our love is like a ship on the ocean Rock the bus, rock on with your bad set Rock the bus, rock the bus 